Welcome to another episode of Echo Chamber So let us get into the UK box office top 10 For the weekend of the 22nd to the 24th of November In at number 10 we have Ak Hakenturn Which is a Met Opera event cinema production Number nine, still doing its thing, be fair, Maleficent Mistress of Evil, which may be the first time I've been able to pronounce the name of that film without any mix ups. At number eight, we've got The Adams Family. At number seven, The Good Liar, still bringing in a ton of money. At number six, we've got The Joker. At number five, we've got 21 Bridges. At number 4, it's Le Mans 66, otherwise known as Ferrari, Ford v Ferrari even. Um, And you can find a review of that amongst our London Film Festival um, reviews and coverage from October. Uh, At number 3, we have Blue Story. At number 2, Last Christmas and... Of course, people. At number one, we got Frozen 2. So, this week, we've got a couple of films. Um, Yeah, two very different films. Uh, So, uh, let's, yeah, let's get into it, all right? Let's get to, um, let's get to the fun stuff. Okay, so I've just finished um, The Last Faust. This is the new film from Philip Hume and Dominic Weishman. Um, Hume wrote the story, which is an adaptation of Johann Wolfgang von Gautier's um, famous book. Uh, so... It is starring Stephen Burkhoff, Martin Hancock, Glyn Dilly, Yvonne May, Edwin De La Renta, Scarlett Mellish Wilson, um, George Keeler, and um, Paul Orchard. Now, the... uh, The gist of the story is this. So, based on the tragic play by Johann Wolfgang von Gautier, The Last Faust is told from the perspective of Faust's future successor, Dr. Goodwill. Um, Faust's pact with the devil has unleashed technology that threatens mankind and Dr. Goodwill, as the current CEO of the world's biggest tech company, Winestone Inc., races against a ticking clock to document what may be humanity's last remaining hours. The Last Faust is a multifaceted exploration of what it is to be human, complex and rich in contemporary references. Besides the pact with Mephisto, the film tells of Faust's tragic love story with 16-year-old Gretchen 
and his blind passion for the mythological goddess Helena, as well as travelling through real and mythological worlds, the last Faust also transcends time, as Dr Faust punctuates key German historical moments, such as the advent of money printing, the Greek war, and the beginnings of the cynical materialism of the modern-day church. So, yeah, this is... It's an interesting piece, okay? So, I think Hume kind of references it as an art film, uh, you know, rather than just... A film, and I I think that is very telling. You know, yeah, I think it's when you watch it, you you understand because it isn't. It's not your traditional film here. Yeah, you know, it, it it's um. Well. Hume has used a kind of framing device of. Um. Yeah, I, 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 it's kind of we we have um, you know, Doctor. Uh, hmm. Well, yes, Doctor Goodwell. So we have him, Goodfellow, even talking. So talking to his Antromaton, his robot. Uh like. Giving the kind of history of humanity, supposedly. So we have him doing this. And then it goes into the kind of scenes. So he's talking and he's just like, and yeah, so it's kind of when this happened. And then it kind of cuts to this. We change. And to kind of really emphasize that, you get an aspect ratio change on the screen you know so they they, they kind of using that uh and yeah then we get these scenes we get these kind of time periods shown to us and, and that's how the story unfolds but um yeah it's so it's more of a a play you know that's the feel you get rather than you know this fully functioning film now i think we've we've definitely kind of seen this done before like i would say um the the film fences when denzel washington made that that was, you know, that was a play that he then brought to film. And the way he did that, you know, because they used all, like, basically the same actors and actresses. And, you know, they just ported everything across. And you definitely had a feel of, um, it was more a play than a film. But. Even with that feeling, it's more a play than a film. It still had the kind of film sentiment to it. 
where this it it feels more like a play that has just been recorded rather than because it's just the way people are standing on the screen you it is exactly how you know mostly people would stand on a stage you know it's kind of so you're facing forward it, you know it's not it's just the way the shots have been crafted and captured and everything like that so you definitely get that feeling like the other thing that really i i came for me it just really kind of resonated was and this might be a bit harsh but I, I and i'll try and make it you know clear what i'm trying to say here but you had the feeling that people weren't really acting and it was more they are delivering you know they were more like delivering lines than this immersive piece where people are falling into the character completely and 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 giving you this complete portrayal of someone and so when i say you know it wasn't as much acting now yes they were acting but when you see these you know everyone do their thing it, you really had that kind of sense of their projecting to an audience, you know, projecting to an audience rather than, you know, feeding off each other and just, you know, delivering something in that way, you know, not paying attention to a camera at them or anything like that. It was just like this was a delivery and you you notice it in the in the in the mannerisms and in the way people were talking because it wasn't just a hey so frank yeah how's it going i don't know i'm feeling kind of <sighs> it's tough man it's tough you know it was more like hey frank how are you feeling hmm Yes, and and it was like that, you know. So it was is a distinct difference in the delivery method of the lines, which was, I, I you know I don't know if it fully works as a film. I think I think you'd be able to immerse yourself a bit more. And appreciate this a bit more if you went and saw it as a play. Because to be honest, like a lot of the things didn't really come across. Like the the you know it mentions you know there's a the, the love story between Faust and Gretchen. You don't really get that. Like and when I say you don't get that, I mean it doesn't come across as love you know like the whole emotional um component of the film doesn't really you know resonate across 
because what you have is it's more kind of a static thing it's more a uh you know hard delivery than an emotionally rich piece of work here so that i mean that's how it felt for me so yeah I, i'm sure others will you know have a different perspective on this but yeah, I didn't really get emotions here. I didn't get feelings or, you know, anything like that. It was just people delivering a piece, people reading a piece. And that's kind of it. Yeah. So, you know, they... Tr- Hume's like he's added kind of dance and stuff like that to it. I mean, to give it maybe a modern edge. But the dance feels like a separate thing from then the play. I don't think there's not a seamless transition. It's not one with it all. Like, you, I mean, for example, uh, if you think of things like, say, La La Land, and the dancing kind of just fitted into the story, and you don't really see that, that hard line of separation, but here you do, you know, it, it, it's kind of noticeable you know and i and i think that's a little bit problematic because it does take you out of things um yeah i don't know also sometimes like the music is playing over the um over the actors and actresses delivering their lines and the music is kind of loud like the music is fine i have no issue really with the music that is used in this but at times it is a bit loud and you think ah that that you know what I, mean? I don't think that seems to be the, the the more poignant thing rather than the, the words, rather than the delivery. Which, yeah, I, you kind of feel it should be the other way around. The music should be more complimentary. It should be that subtle thing, you know, embracing the words. But it doesn't really kind of fit in like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, it's a different kind of thing, you know? Like, you know, I like, I think the framing stuff between um, Goodfellow and Humunculus, you know, the the Andromedon, um, like, that kind of separates... The scenes So this is fine But There's this Because we're meant to be in the future 
But the technology, it doesn't really feel that futuristic. It kind of comes off a little bit more like Star Trek. Yeah, because I think the, 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 I'd say the collaboration of humanity and technology, that is becoming more seamless. So you don't notice it as much. So it's just like when they're showing the, you know, the recording and you're looking through Humunculus's eyes, you have all these weird kind of lines and things and lights on the screen to kind of go, look, this is a recording. This is, you know, through an Android. And it's just like, I don't know if it would be like that. I think you're, 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 it's a bit too in your face, a bit too recording people, this is a recording, when I think something a bit more subtle, that would work and make you think, yeah, 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 that's more future, because now we've had things like Black Mirror, and past now technology has gone the way it is, and, and we're getting all these new advances and things like that. Think out people's idea of what's next isn't this clunky thing, you know. So yeah, I I think that all becomes a bit like ash. But yeah, I don't know. Like I maybe if you, <sighs> hmm, I guess if. You are a huge fan of Johann Wolfgang von Gautier's work. Maybe then, you know, this for you, it just works on a different level. Or if you've kind of, I'd, I'd say, followed Hume's work all the way through, then maybe you look at this in a different way. But if you're looking for a, a, you know, an enjoyable film adaptation, you know, this isn't going to be like Far From the Madding Crowd. This isn't going to be like Emma or, you know, or even it wouldn't be something a little bit different, you know, something like Shakespeare in Love or something like that. This isn't that. This isn't Colette. This isn't, you know, this is a completely different animal. So, yeah, you probably should be prepared for that. You know, and so that's why the use of art film as one word, I think it does really kind of sum up, you know, what this is. You know, if you are a fan of Hume, if you are a, you know, a big fan of um, Gautier's work, then, uh, you know, the good thing for you people is you will be able to pick this up on Monday, the 2nd of December. Um, It's going to be hitting all digital platforms on that day, so you'll be able to get it on Amazon, iTunes, Sky Store, probably Google Play, you know, all the usual spots, so uh, yeah, 
look, as I said, if you're if you're a fan of the work, if you're a fan of the the creators, the actors, then uh, the last Faust could be just what you're looking for. Okay, it's a contemporary tragedy, and it's 108 minutes. Okay, so it's not crazy long or anything like that. But yeah, you know, it's a, it's definitely different. So uh, yeah, Monday, second of December, it's your opportunity to um, check it out, or maybe pick it up for someone as a Christmas gift. All right, great stuff. Okay, so our next film is um, the new one. The, yeah, new one, and I think a lot of people have been looking forward to this. It's Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. So um, Kevin Smith did a preview of this at the BFI, uh, and he introduced the film, and afterwards there was a Q&A. So we're going to start off with his introduction, You'll go into the review and we'll end with the Q&A. So sit back and enjoy, people. shows in those 27 days. I've seen this movie a lot. <laughs> and the one question I get over and over from people is like, how much do you fucking hate this movie by now? And I don't. I love the movie because I love watching it with the audience. Every night the audience discovers new things about it and they make me love the movie more. Regionally, I've been all across the country so far, my country. Um, so I've heard it play in a bunch of different places and stuff like that. So I, I love it. I look forward to watching it with y'all. This is the first like, you know, European, British version of the screening we're gonna have and whatnot, and I'm, I'm so curious, uh, because what I do is I sit in the back behind you all, staring at the back of your heads like a dirty fucking cup. <laughs> watching for your heads, sorry kids, watching for your heads to bomb laughing at the movie because it makes me feel smart. I'm like, ooh, I'm so clever, look at him laugh and shit like that. So I'll sit in the back and watch that, and. I don't want to predispose the room. You guys react however you want. But having seen this a bunch of times with, with public screenings and shit, it tends to devolve into a party atmosphere. It becomes very much like a screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, where people are screaming and yelling things at the screen, and they cheer anybody they recognize that pops up in the movie. So it's fucking beautiful. I didn't know this would happen. Like, I didn't even dream it would happen. The first night of the tour in New Jersey, we showed the movie, and you know, Brian O'Halloran plays Dante and Clark's, he's in the opening scene. As soon as he went, that's what happened. Those people were like, ah, shit. And I was like, holy shit. So I watched that whole screening and was delighted to see the interactivity. So the next night was Chicago and I started shooting the crowd. So like, I'll be behind you. If you see somebody bootlegging the movie, it's me. Because <laughs> I'm shooting the screen and you guys in the foreground for your reactions because I like to send it to the people that can't be here. Like me and Jay have been on tour and stuff. He's not here, obviously. He's home with his kid. 
But uh, I know, fuck him. He loves his kid. Uh, what a son of a bitch. Uh, so uh, he's, he, him and I get to see it every night and how it's received, and it's bliss. I've described the experience of like touring with this movie thusly. People are like, what's it like? I was like, it's like going to church every night where you're both the priest and Jesus. <laughs> it's just a religious affair and shit like that. So I started shooting the audience and sending clips to people out there in the movie to see like, can you fucking believe these reactions? So like my wife, she was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, she pops up in, in this movie. And when she did, the audience goes crazy. So much so that I'm like, why the fuck didn't I put her in more of the movie, man? And so I shot the audience reaction to her and I texted it to my wife and I was like, can you fucking believe they even remember you? you know? She wrote back, fuck you, Kevin. So but my favorite one, hands down, is, and this is a, if you've seen the trailer, it's not a spoiler. If you haven't covered your spoilers, Ben Affleck pops up in the movie. And when Ben Affleck, he sure does. And when Ben Affleck pops up in the movie, fucking the audience reacts like, like Batman shows up or something like that. So they're like, ah. So I shot that and I texted it to Ben going like, Listen to how much they love you in Chicago. And he wrote back a two-word response. I know. <laughs> so if you see somebody behind you with a camera and shit, that's probably me. If it's somebody else, let me know. Um, what else can I tell you about the, the movie, man? You're going to learn all sorts of things about Jay and Silent Bob that you never knew before, ladies and gentlemen, including the fact that Jay's got a long-lost daughter. That's what the movie's kind of about and stuff. You will learn less important things about Silent Bob. For example, you'll learn his two favorite movies. That's it. So based on that, I'll give you a little more information since I'm just here. Um, Silent Bob's favorite scene in movie cinema history, the one that he could do verbatim if he bothered to speak at all, uh, would be the Alec Baldwin scene from Glengarry Glen Ross. <laughs> just makes sense. What else can I tell you about the movie? Um, uh, the movie represents Jason Mewes' finest hour. He is absolutely dynamite in the movie. He's very funny. Uh, it's a, we're sequelizing a comedy, so thank God he brought the laughs and stuff. But there's a little extra something in the movie, ladies and gentlemen, that some people aren't prepared for, so I like to throw it out there just in case and shit. There are a few moments in, these mo in the, this movie where you might be overcome by what the kids these days call the feels. Um, and that's not a Me Too thing. That's emotional. Like you're gonna, you're gonna feel emotional watching this movie. You may even, in a Jay and Silent Bob movie, roll a tear, and not because you're like they fucked it up. I knew it. They ruined it. It'll be because Jason's performance like kind of takes you there, man. So it's interesting to see. A lot of people afterwards are like, I know, I, I thought I would laugh. I didn't know that I would roll a tear. You're not. You don't have to roll a tear. But if it happens. You're not having a stroke. It's the movie that's going to take the shit. It's kind of a touching affair. It's a big, warm, gooey heart movie. And it's funny, too, so you're about to see that. What else can I tell you? Uh, we spent the better part of the last year making a time machine for you, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready to go back to the fucking 90s? <laughs> and without further ado, I give you Jay and Silent Bob a reboot, and I'll see you afterwards for you and that Boom, just back from a preview of Jay and Silent Bob Reboot at the BFI. Uh, Kevin Smith introduced it, did a Q&A afterwards. It was a great evening. Uh, so, I think you really want to hear about the film. What is the film like? Okay, so, um, yeah. Obviously, it's directed by Kevin Smith. It's produced by Jordan Monsanto and Liz Destro. It's written by Smith. 
It's starring Jason Mewes, Kevin Smith, uh, just so many people, man. Um, like Melissa Benoist, uh, Rosario Dawson, Joe Mangalelli, James Van Der Beek, Shannon Elizabeth, Justin Long, Katie McCukey, Jason Lee, Deirdrick Bader, Joey Lauren Adams, Matt Damon, Chris Hensworth, Ben Affleck. There are just so many people in in this film, man. You know, like Frankie Shaw, Harley Quinn Smith, Craig Robinson, Fred Armstrong, Molly Shannon, uh, Jason Biggs, Keith Coogan, Jennifer Shawbuck Smith, Tommy Chong. Method Man, Red Man, like so many people, so many people, and yeah, it just makes you smile. I mean, I didn't really get all the people because, yeah, I, I couldn't really see, but it was amusing. Donnell Rawlins popped up at the beginning, Chris Jericho plays an amusing part, like it, it's, yeah. It's hilarious, man. It really is funny. Like, the amount of people that just crop up and that you see. Uh, the music's by James L. Venable. Uh, cinematographer, Yaron Levy. And it's um it's a view askew. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a bit like all of that gets thrown up into the mix, you know? But the um the gist of the film is this. When Jay and Silent Bob discover that a reboot of the Blunt Man and Chronic movie, a movie based on a comic book based on them, is being made, and they lose the right to use their own names after the company behind it take out an injunction against them, they head off to Chronic Con in Hollywood. Hollywood, California, to stop it. Along the way, they run into Jay's old girlfriend and discover he has a daughter. Um, Jay's girlfriend, Boo Boo Kitty Fuck, <laughs> from uh, Strikes Back. Yeah, and they discover that he has a daughter he never knew he had. One who forces Jay and Silent Bob at knife point to take her and three friends with them to Hollywood. So they can be extras in the new movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is the film, people. That is the film. And, um... I think if you're a fan of this universe... You know, if you've seen all the films and... They all make you smile You know, there's something you like about all of that stuff Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Strikes Back Like, all of those films, you just love them You know, 
you will thoroughly enjoy this film, you know, like, there are so many, like, little nods and in-jokes and everything like that, all wrapped up in this, so you, you have that to look forward to, but I think even if you haven't seen all the films, there's still plenty here for you to feast on, there's plenty here for you to enjoy, because it is funny, there is, like, the way the film just starts, you know, I did wonder why everyone was laughing, and then you, you realise the name of the shop, and you're like, ah, okay, yeah, 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 I see, I see, but just the opening scene is, it's just funny, it's just funny, like, be aware, there is a tuck job, there is a tuck job at the beginning, which I don't know if we all needed, (laughs) I really don't know if we all needed it, but it is funny, it's definitely funny, and so we see, we see these things, and it's just like, ah, nice, yes, and um, yeah, you smile, like the film, it, it moves along, and then we get to the just the court scene, like Justin Long is always funny, like, especially when he's in these type of films, like, um, yeah, you know, what's the one, uh, I think it was Jay, um, makes a porno, yeah, I think that, he's that kind of character, yeah, yeah, he's just funny, and so the the whole court scene, that was amusing, that was, and that kind of builds the rest of the film, you know, it, it lays everything to what's to come, and it's just like, yeah, so we, we have things like that, and I just, look, there is a lot of hammy acting, there is a lot of hammy acting, but it it works, and you feel like it's hammy because do you know what I mean? It, it's not hammy, and no one realised. It, it's just, it's just like everyone's playing up to these roles, and everything's a bit crazy to the ninth. You know what I mean? But I think because it's that, that's what makes you. Smile so much That's what makes you laugh uh, it, it is like They're in the comic shop And they're talking about Films and the difference between A reboot and a remake And all of that is But then that conversation Later on Ties into something else Which is just like When Jay's talking about his daughter and that's just, you know what I mean? You're just like, ah, that, yeah, that, that's, that's a funny point. That works. That's good. Nice. So we have all of this. Have all of this, man. And it is, there are a lot of parallels to Strikes Back. But that's fine. Because that's part of the joke. You know what I mean? That's all part of the joke. 
But then you get this new stuff that's thrown in there. Which is just like, okay. Right, right. No, that works. That's funny. And it's just like, yes, a lot of the stuff that gets said is on the nose. Is kind of like, do you get the joke? This is the joke. Do you understand the joke? But it's funny. So you're laughing. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, it just... Ah, it, it, you, you'll watch it and you will smile There are also thrown in These little gems Like Matt Damon That whole scene Is so funny That whole scene is So funny Because he, he, he throws in A couple of um, Tentpole references that work, that work so well, you know what I mean, you're like, ah, <laughs> nice, uh, yeah, 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 I get it, I, that makes sense, that works, I, and, it, and it's such a funny scene, and then towards the end, we've got the, um, the, uh, the Ben Affleck scene, which I've heard is in the trailer, that's why I've referenced it a few times. Otherwise, I wouldn't. But it's in the trailer, supposedly. I don't watch trailers, people. You know that by now. But, uh, yes. That scene. Ah. That is a great little scene. And, um, yeah. After this, you'll get the Q&A. And that will all be explained in there as well. And, and, and it's just like. Just makes you. It makes you smile. Really makes you smile And I think it, it, it's stuff like that That really help elevate this as well You know It's just like these the, 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 the film itself is good But then you throw in these other components And you're just like Ah Nice man Like the, the whole um, Burger shop you know, that whole bit, that's hilarious. Then you've got a bit with um, the hoods, which you'll understand when you watch the film. That, yeah, that works. That's hilarious. I would hate to be them at the end because, oh, <laughs> oh man, that can't be good. But, hey, think of the people they are, so... Yeah, they kind of had it coming, right? But yeah, just it, it, yeah, it. You don't watch this. Sometimes you watch these films and you think, mm, I really wish they hadn't have made that. I really wish they hadn't have gone back to the universe. You won't be saying that with this, you know? Because. It's just, I think it's pollinated with the right amount of view skewing. And when I say that, I mean you, you have the right amount of references to the previous material. You have the right amount of references to other people's work. Like Affleck throws in, ah, there's a, there's a few Batman nods. 
the the the, the um I can't remember her name. That was good. That was a good one. It's just because it's just like okay, so they understand the 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 things people are a bit miffed about or people have talked about. You know what I mean? So you get those little nods and it's just like, ah, no, that's funny, man. They can laugh about that. That's good. You know, because it humanizes the whole shit, right? When you realize, yeah, you know, they've got a sense of humor. They're laughing at that. Like, do you know I mean they're not affected by the crazy shit? You know, so yes, there's there's enough of all of this. All kind of thrown in So the film got to marinate And come out with the, just That distinct flavour But Yo, you're still like Yeah, that's a funny Kevin Smith joint Okay, great That's great And then when you hear what's coming You're just like Awesome I cannot wait to continue on this ride. But people, don't, you know what I mean? Stay. Stay right till the end. Because there's a lot of funny shit in the credits. Yeah. yeah. Gotta stay. Don't just leave, alright? Um, but yeah. Go see the film, man. If, if, as I said, look, if you're a fan of any of... Kevin Smith's films I mean other than Jersey Girl Obviously (laughs) If if you're a fan of his films This won't disappoint you You will enjoy this You know And even if you Maybe you've just seen the stuff he's done Like the CW And you've liked that You know You can still go watch this And you'll still be like Yeah no that was well worth it. That was worth my time. I'm glad I saw it. Okay. So um yeah, go check out uh Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, which is out um today, Friday. Yep. So go check it. Um, you know, Smith edited it, wrote it, directed it. Jordan Mansaito, Liz Destro, they produced it. And it is starring basically everyone you love from this whole universe. With new faces thrown in. Alright? So yeah, go check it. Go have fun. You won't be disappointed, people. You really won't. Hey kids, did you like it? You're very sweet. Uh, I hate to tell you this, but you're very American. You laughed at all the same fucking places. I was looking for something more respectable over here. Uh, thank you for watching, man. As you can tell, it's like a real uh, labor of love for me and shit like that. Okay, what we have here are a bunch of shit to give out some fake Chronicom badges and stuff from Legion M. So we're going to give those out to folks that ask questions. Uh, there are no microphones. They just stand up and talk, right? Is that the idea? There is a microphone. Where? Because the room's totally small enough for Oh, someone will bring it around? You lazy fucker. All right, there it is. You throw your hands in the air, waving like you just don't care. One of these gentlemen with the mics. What's your name over there? 
Alex, give it up for Alex. He's doing the work for you. And what is Alex number two? Luigi. Luigi, give it up for Luigi. One of these two gentlemen will give you a microphone and we can get started, man. And if you ask, it doesn't even have to be a good question. You're going to get one of these. What's your name, Captain? Uh, Ali. What is it? Ali. Ali? And we'll give him Ali's first. Uh, I loved it, by the way. It was wicked. Thank you. Wicked? Holy fuck, I haven't heard that compliment in a long time. Uh, that rocks. I mean, from an 80s kid, wicked is a very cool word. Thank you. Uh, so I know that you obviously do smodcasts with Mojo all the time. I was just wondering now he's off doing animation and everything if you would be planning on getting together and doing something together again. Uh, yes, like uh, I, Scott Mosier, for those that don't follow this thing very closely, I do a podcast called Smodcast. I've been doing it for 12 fucking years with the guy. Um, he was the one that produced all my old movies and uh, all the good ones, not the fucking bad ones that people don't like. Uh, and then Scott, of course, we met in film school, but he didn't go to film school going, ooh, I want to be some jackass's producer. He went to film school wanting to be a storyteller himself. And it took him a few years to get there and build up the confidence and shit, but he eventually did. And he co-directed the Grinch cartoon movie that came out last year, which made like a billion fucking dollars. <laughs> so he's now on a different path altogether. He was the battery in my all of my early stuff. Without him, none of that shit would have happened. I'm just a guy has a bunch of ideas and shit like that, like everybody. In order to manifest a reality, you need a battery, somebody who can actually get shit done. And Scott was always that guy for me. But Scott didn't come into this business or this world to be that guy. He wanted to be his own storyteller. He is now. So I'm so happy for him on a personal level as his friend. As the guy who made all the movies with him, I'm like, fuck! Because <laughs> he was an important part of what I did. So we'll continue doing smodcast and stuff, but I can't imagine we'll ever make movies together anymore because he can do that on his own. He doesn't need me and stuff. So this was the first one we did without him, which was so weird, you know, because he was there for all the other Viewskew movies. So he finally watched this one, let me see, like maybe a month after I wrapped it, I had to cut up the movie together. And so he went in clean. He hadn't read the script or anything like that. I was like, what'd you think, man? And he's like, it's kind of like watching my life flash before my eyes. <laughs> he's like, because I worked on all those movies. I was like, I understand. And I said, what'd you think? And he goes, I think, he's like, I understood what you wanted to do. He's like, because I know you very well. You wanted to tell a joke. And the joke was, what if I just made the same fucking movie all over again? <laughs> Would anyone notice this shit? And he's like, that's a funny joke. And for the first 20 minutes to a half hour, like it totally worked. And then right at the half hour mark where I was like, oh my God, is he gonna keep telling this fucking joke? Then you started the real movie. The movie I had no idea I wanted to see. A movie about this kid having a fucking daughter. He's like, that was the unexpected thing. So I'm glad you got to tell your joke. But it seemed like you had to, you built a skeleton to tell your one joke, and then you were like, let me put some meat on it. And the meat was the more interesting part of the story. And I was like, fucking thanks and shit. <laughs> so I love him to death, but he's now on his own path. And, and uh, I'll see him again when I go home, like the tour stops for Christmas holidays. So I get to record Smodcast with him like two or three times and shit. And then he goes back to his world. He's working on a, oh, I'm not supposed to say, he's working on a big <laughs> project, something that, um, it has a lot of means and a lot of eyeballs will be on it and shit like that. And it's all his. It's not like I'm creating new, uh, uh, he's creating new IP as opposed to like taking some old shit. And the story he's doing is really cool. It's so fun for me to see that guy step into his own as a storyteller after he's been helping me tell my stories 
for years. And I wish I could help him tell his the way he helped me tell mine because I couldn't have launched my ship without him and stuff. But mercifully, because he built himself into a producer over the course of like all the time we were making movies together, he didn't need help when it came time for him to go on standoff on his own. He was able to do it himself and stuff. So he'll be doing more of that, and I'm so happy for that. And our relationship, our professional relationship, will come down to Smodcast at this point, which is totally fine with me because as much as I love Scott as the guy who helped me make flicks, he's one of the funniest fucking people I've ever known. So sitting down and talking to him on Smodcast is an absolute pleasure, honor, and a fucking delight for me and stuff. So it's nice that we can still do it, and he doesn't have to do it per se. Like when we started Smodcast, we were making movies together, so I was like, we're doing a podcast. He's like, all right, I guess. So he got dragged into it. Now when he does it, he chooses to do it, as opposed to like, well, I have to do it because it's what we do. So, you know, it, it, I had to let go of one thing in terms of like, oh man, this is the guy, the battery, without whom I wouldn't have done all that shit. Um, I met a new battery, Jason's wife, Jordan. Uh, she's the one that runs our world. She produced the movie and stuff. She produced Jay's child. She produces Jay as well. Um, she became the new Scott Moser, and Scott like gave her his blessing, you know. Scott talks to Jordan all the time, like they text back and forth and stuff. He does very sweet things, like checks in on me behind my back to be like, is he okay, what's going on? Can I help and shit like that? So he's kind of from afar mentored her as well. And she kind of came in, took over, and, and she's been the bridge to everything I've wanted to do for the last like seven, eight years at this point. So she's a uh, new motor, or not even new motor, she's Jordan. Uh, where else are we gonna go? Bang. What's your name, Captain? Uh, Damon. David? Damon. Damon. Everyone yeah. give it up for Damon. He's going next. <laughs> what can I do for Damon? Well, I just want to say that was fucking amazing. <laughs> um, and if I slowly reach in my bag, no fear here. <laughs> <laughs> Could you sign a relic for me? I can't, I, I can't, well, here you go, I'm gonna make you a deal. I can sign a relic, but you won't get this cool prop, because that's not a question, that's a fucking request. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a Sharpie? I do. Give I me that Sharpie. Sure. Let me see that shirt. I for you. That is beautiful. It, right? That is beautiful, a Deadpool shirt. Don't worry, you're just holding up the Q&A, and we only have 30 minutes. <laughs> Meanwhile, let's go to the next question over there. Who's got the mic? Hey, Gavin. Love the film. Hey, man. Where are you? How are you? Thank you for saying that. Um, so, do you think you're ever going to get Randall to agree to a Clerks 3? Because he was holding it up. Uh, he was. This whole movie began as Clerks 3. We were trying to make Clerks 3, and then Jeff didn't want to do it. And so it was mostly set at a mall, and so I pivoted and said, oh, shit, let's make Mall Rats 2. And then Universal didn't want to do that. <laughs> so at that point, I was like, fuck, man. Like, what am I supposed to do? And I want to play with my old toys again. After the heart attack, I felt old as shit. And I felt like the way to feel young again would be to go up to the attic, pull down all the old toys, and fucking act like a kid again and stuff. And it kind of worked out. So, fuck, I had a pothole. What was the fucking question? <laughs> Clerks 3. Clerks 3, thank you. So, so easy to forget. So we tried to do Clerks 3. That didn't work. Tried to do Mallrats 2. That didn't work. So I said to Jason, I was like, look, why are we working harder when we can work, work smarter instead? You want to do a Jay and Silent Bob movie. 
I'm, I'm okay to do that as well. Like Jay's been asking me for years, he's like, can we do another one of those? And I was like, I was surprised and shocked we did one. <laughs> Let's just count our blessings and walk away. <laughs> so for years he'd been asking, and we've been doing the podcast, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, where he's like, it's basically a sobriety podcast. And so I was always holding out a carrot, dangling a carrot. I was like, you know, maybe if you stay clean long enough, maybe we could make a Jay and Silent Bob movie. And so suddenly the universe shifted in the position of like, Maybe that's what we should do. Like, I don't have to ask permission to make that movie. Me and Jay, we own these characters, so we can do whatever we want and stuff. So it started in that fashion, and I had to let go of Clerks 3 so much so that I started hacking it up for parts. The opening of this movie is the old opening of Clerks 3, the whole fucking, like, SWAT team and all that shit. That happened at the start of Clerks 3. Once I started cannibalizing that strip, I knew I'd never go back to it and stuff. Same thing with Mallrats 2. The third act of this movie came from Mallrats too, including Iron Bob. I've been waiting to tell that fucking Iron Bob joke for five years, man. And believe it or not, I would get scared and be like, what if somebody tells it before me? As if anyone was ever going to. So strange. So um, it, it, I borrowed or stole the entire third act from Mallrats 2, um, but I had to change some shit. Stan was meant to be the guy on stage that the Russians are after. Obviously, what the give a fuck about Kevin Smith? <laughs> Kevin Smith was a last minute fix because we lost Stan, and so there went the third act of the movie, as well as there went the greatest person I ever met in my life and shit. So at that point, I had to kind of shift the third act a little bit. Um, it would have been beautiful in terms of what else he did. He essentially would have been a guy on the stage and he gets the gun to his head and shit like that. When Iron Bob comes in the room and starts fighting cockmandos, uh, we would cut to Shan Yu, who's on stage with Stan and Jay and Millie and Jihad and Soapy. So they're all on stage, same way they were there. And Shan Yu looks away at the cock mando fight with Iron Bob, and she looks back, and everyone's gone. So our heroes spirited Stan away in a wheelchair, because he couldn't walk that fast at that point, shit like that. So there was a reason that he was in a wheelchair in the script that made it easy for them to escape with Stan in the wheelchair. Then Shan Yu grabbed some cock mandos and said, after them. Then we took them on a run down this hallway that had chairs blocking the back door. And at the other end of the hallway, Shan Yu and the cock mandos come in, the door fucking closes and shit. And it's like a showdown. And our heroes are gonna fucking lose because these guys got guns and these guys got Jay's mouth and that's it. And so Stan goes, I've had enough of this shit. And he touches a button on his glasses and a fucking Iron Man mask covers his face. <laughs> then he lights a lightsaber and he proceeds to do the Rogue One Darth Vader scene. <laughs> and it obviously would have been a stuntman doing most of the hard work and shit like that, but Stan would have went down the hallway fucking killing people left and right, using the force to do so and whatnot. And at the end, he presses his glasses, his shield goes off, and he's like, enough said. You know, that was it. So we didn't get to do that. Um, so I had to change a little bit of the stuff I stole and stuff like that. But once I did all that, I was like, clearly I'm never going to make those movies again because this, this is it. Like, once I started this, I was like, all right, this will be the View Universe movie. Like, this, I'll do a Clerk sequel in here and a Mallrats sequel and a Chasing Amy sequel and I'll throw a little Dogma in there as well. And, you know, it's clearly it's a sequel to Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, but I felt that way. I would satisfy any need I had to play with any of my old toys and shit. So we did, worked out very well. Then, because of the movie, uh, we wound up doing this signing at a private signing event for a bunch of like merchandise and stuff. It was me and Jason and Jeff Anderson. Jeff plays Randall in Clerks. And Jeff was the guy who was like, I don't want to make Clerks 3. Like at the last minute, it all kind of fell apart. 
And the reason he didn't want to is because um, he was being offered far less than he was worth. Um, that was it. Like at the end of the day, we were making an indie movie. I wasn't taking a salary at all. And I offered the boys a salary that both of them found uh, a little insulting. Like, this is the third Clerks movie, and that's all we're going to make, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is all the money we have. See, when I want to make a movie, I don't give a fuck how it gets done. I don't give a shit about getting paid. Like, if they don't pay me to make the movie, I'll go stand on a stage for an hour and talk, and I'll get paid that way. <laughs> As the guy who wants to see the movie the most, like, I can't let money stand in the way, especially personal money, where it's like, well, you better pay me to make this shit, because I would do this shit for free, even if they didn't pay me. So at the end of the day, I'm always ready to wager it all and be like, hey, man, we're going to do it as cheap as possible. But that never takes into consideration everyone else. Like, of course, I want to do it for as cheaply as possible because it's my self-expression. I want to desperately see it. Jeff doesn't feel the same way. Like, for Jeff, he's like, look, I'd like to do it, but, like, this is my craft and my talent. And he's going, I know somebody's making money on these movies, but it's never us. And shouldn't it be us? And at that point, I was like, it can't be. There's no way the movie can happen under those conditions. We only have this much money to make the movie. The movie fell apart and stuff like that. So I see Jeff at the signing for the first time since then. And I don't think we communicated much. I think he hit me up during my heart attack to be like, are you okay or something like that. And we also emailed back and forth when Lisa Spoonhour, who was in Clerks, she played Caitlin, she passed away far too early. And Jeff and Lisa were married for a minute back in the 90s and stuff. So I hadn't spoken to Jeff for a long time. He goes to the signing. Uh, we sign, I'm chit-chatting the whole time, he seems surprised, and at the end of the signing, like, we had time to go out on the balcony, grab a smoke and stuff. So I was like, come out, man, let's smoke up. And we were out there, and he was like, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think you were gonna talk to me today. And I was like, why? He's like, because all this shit went down. I was like, that's precisely why I wanna talk to you today. And I said, I just made a movie where I ain't spoken to Ben Affleck in 10 fucking years, and he came back. If I can mend fences with fucking Ben, you and I gotta be able to make fences, man, and get into some fucking Clerks 3, you know what I'm saying? He goes, I always wanted to make that movie. I was like, no, I know. And at the time, I reacted poorly, because I was like, what, you want money? Like, that's all I heard and shit. But that's not what it was. Because when Michelle Williams won her Emmy fairly recently, and she got up and she gave a speech about, I won this award because I wasn't thinking about pay disparity. I was getting paid fairly so I could concentrate on my job and do the job that I want to be there for and stuff like that. And it clicked in me. I'm like, that's what Jeff was talking about. It wasn't about like, I'm gonna get rich. It was just like, hey man, how am I supposed to do the performance if all I'm thinking about is like, we're getting fucked again, not getting anything to be in this movie and shit. So I said, look, I now understand what you were trying to say, man. And I just want to make things right. So we're gonna find a number that makes you comfortable and then back into that. Instead of having a budget and then figuring out, all right, this is what's for the actors, we're gonna find that figure where you're like, this is good. I will be happily in this movie if this is what I'm getting paid because that makes me feel like a professional who's been doing this shit for 25 years, it's just a sign of respect and shit like that. And I said, well, I think I can make that happen so fucking easily and stuff. And he goes, you wanna do the old Clerks 3 script? I said, no, that movie, as you remember, was obsessed with death. I wrote that, it's very much the story of being middle-aged and looking at the end. And it was obsessed with death. And I wrote it before I had the heart attack. So I was like, since the heart attack, I never want to talk about fucking death again, man. So I want to make a much more hopeful version of Clerks 3. And Jeff's like, what is it? And I was like, okay, here's the story. In the first scene, Randall has a massive heart attack. <laughs> so Jeff's like, where'd you get that idea? I was like, I don't know. I said, so he's in recovery with, uh, in the recovery room talking to Dante. And he's scared. And this is, you've never seen this Randall before. And he's like, I'm fucking 50 years old and I almost died tonight, man. He's like, and I got nothing to show for my life. I own a convenience store, big fucking deal. I never got married like you did. I ain't got no fucking kid like you. 
All I did was sit around and watch people's movies my whole fucking life. And I'm about to die tonight, and I got nothing to show for that life. Who the fuck is going to remember me? He goes, well, fuck this, man. Now that I know how tenuous my grasp on this life is, I'm doing what I should have always done. I'm not watching anyone else's movies anymore. I'm going to make my own movie about my life in this store, and you're going to help me. And so Randall and Dante make clerks, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff was like, I'm in. And so the next movie that we're making is Clerks 3. Uh, and it will start back at the end of the year. I've been writing it. Uh, while I've been on tour with the movie, because it fucking writes itself, because essentially, if they're eventually making clerks, well, I made clerks, so I know how the fucking story goes. And so for all these years, I've been telling like our making of stories and shit, they just get repurposed into Dante and Randall's world. So I just wrote the scene the other day where uh, the DP, the director of photography, is trying to explain to them that like you got fluorescent lights in this store. And they're like, yeah? Like, if you shoot color film under fluorescent lights, everyone's going to look green. You have to get a lighting package and turn these off and we turn tungstens on and shit. And they're like, we ain't got enough money for a lighting package. Can't we just do it with these lights? He's like, I mean, I guess if it was in black and white, sure. <laughs> and so they're like, Schindler's List was in black and white. That's also a movie. Let's do it. <laughs> I just get to take all the stories that we went through and kind of give it to the boys. And I'm so passionate about doing it because, and this thing just sounds so stupid, find weird motivations to do things in life. I want to make that movie because I want to give my characters exactly what they fucking gave me. Dante and Randall gave me the entire fucking world. Making that movie opened up the entire world for me and put me where I am fucking today. The least I could do for those characters is not leave them stranded at the convenience store. Like, they want more. You can kind of see it and stuff. And so I'm going to give them what they gave me and see what happens to them afterwards and shit. So I can't fucking wait to make that movie. Now, Mallrats 2 was a movie I couldn't wait to make, and then we couldn't make that and shit, and I scrapped it for parts and whatnot. But then in the wake of doing this movie, uh, I was talking to Jasper over at Universal, and he's like, what do you want to do next? And I was like, there's a movie that you guys own that's mine that I really wanted to do once. And he's like, give me a two-pager, we can talk about it. So after Clerks 3, I'm gonna go make Mallrats 2. Yay! So, universe uh, for a few years um, if you're fucking not tired of seeing this you're gonna see a lot more and shit like that and some people I'm sure online will be like ew he's just sequelizing his own movies like uh, that's not original at all and I would quickly point out to them that a couple of years ago I was very original I gave him a movie about a guy who chose another guy to a fucking walrus and the first thing they all said was go back to the other fucking movies quick <laughs> so we're gonna spend some time doing that man playing around in the, in the 90s um, I I turned 50 in August, and I can't think of a better way to not feel 50 than to be still playing with my toys. These are the toys that I handmade and stuff like that. And years ago, I got talked out of these movies by folks on the internet who were like, ew, you're making another Jane Silent Bob movie? And I was made to feel ashamed, and I put that shit down because there was a time in my life where I listened to other people and let them tell me how I should conduct my life and conduct my career. And one of the saddest things I ever did was not make a VSQ movie for 12 fucking years. Clerks 2 was the last one we did and stuff. When we reopened the doors on this motherfucker, I felt like I was a child again, in the best possible way, but a child with fucking experience this time. So for me, post-heart attack, everything changes, right? Like, it's not like, you know, I, I didn't become a different or better person or anything like that. I just saw death so fucking close now that I understand that I'm living on borrowed time. And I say that to my wife all the time. She's like, that's morbid. I was like, no, it's not, it's the truth. 
you're living on borrowed time as well. I'm just acutely aware of it. Act accordingly, motherfucker. You know, so because of that, there feels like there's a ticking clock. You know, I survived the heart attack and I went healthy and shit and dropped some weight, went vegan, used to be happy, now I'm fucking vegan. And, uh, but at the end of the day, like, I'm at the mercy of my father's genetics and my mother's genetics. This is the doctor told me. He was, I was like, man, how did this happen? He goes, well, you know, you told me you used to drink two gallons of milk a day. And I was like, yeah, I guess that'd do it. And he's like, it's not just that though, it's genetics. He's going, it's based on what your parents' hearts are like and stuff. And when he had me on the table at one point, he was like, yeah, you're 100% blocked. That's what I think it is. I'm gonna have to put a stent in you. Do you know what a stent is? And I was like, yeah, my mother has a stent in her heart. He goes, wait a second. Do you have a history of heart problems in your family? I said, no, my mother just has a stent in her heart. And my father died of a massive heart attack at age 67. He was like, we gotta go fucking fast. So once they got me like back to the land of the living and shit, I just kind of walked away with this different perspective of like, oh, I got no fucking time whatsoever. I don't have all the time in the world that I thought I did and shit like that. And my old man had a heart attack. And the first one put him in check and he should have fucking, you know, got on a life-saving program and, and, and changed his life, but he didn't. It was tough to move out of like the trench he'd kind of built for himself and whatnot. And then the second heart attack took him out. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time with my father growing up. He was the one that took me to the movies all the time and shit like that. The reason I became, became a movie maker was because my dad would take me to the movies. Never said once, you should try this. You could make a movie too. Like, we didn't come from that world where you encouraged kids to dream and shit like that. You know, people in my world were like, see that mountain? Never fucking climb it. Like, go fall down. Like so, but all that time that I spent with him, like, led to me being a filmmaker. But it's, that's not the only valuable thing I ever got out of that relationship, man. And I think, like, my father had poor health and shit. Didn't take care of himself as well as he should have. And if I don't learn from that lesson, then what was the point? You know, he's gone. He's dead 15 fucking years. But wherever he is, heaven and hell, and fuck, I hope he's in heaven, if either of them exist. Hopefully he's gone like, that motherfucker learned from my example. Like, he went vegan. I wouldn't have done that. But he did that and shit. Good for him. He's trying to save his fucking life. So, but... Considering that that's out of my hands, at the end of the day, the genetics are theirs, not mine, it just really speeds everything up. I don't really have time to, to suffer, not fools, but other people's opinions anymore. You know, and I never really did. I like to do my own thing. But I would read every fucking review and see what people were saying and stuff. And now I just get it. Like, that doesn't matter. Like, people could come up to me now and be like, that fucking movie sucked. I'd be like, didn't it? But at least it was in focus. You know, shit like that. <laughs> because there's just no time. Like, that doesn't matter. Like, at the end of the day, if somebody doesn't want to watch my shit, that's great. Doesn't mean I don't get to make that shit. So I want to make as many of these as I can before I get out of here and stuff. So I know that Clerks 3 and Mallrats 2 are next. And that will make me incredibly happy. I know it'll make my audience incredibly happy and shit like that. It'll make Brian happy, Jeff happy. Jason just wants to play Jay until he dies, so we'll make him happy. He's been doing it for 25 years, so he's got it perfected at this point. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's happening next. Clerks 3 is next, Mallrats 2 will be after that. Good? What do we got? What's, what's your name? Sharon. Sharon? Yeah. Give it up for Sharon, man. Uh, uh,
Okay, so nice to be back in the views, you will, uh, it feels like home. Thank you. Uh, one of the first things I ever did was cut school to watch Chasing Amy when I was 14. Don't tell my mom. Um, <laughs> Wait, so as somebody who liked Chasing Amy, how was the sequel? Oh, I loved it. I just oh, didn't you? Again. I fucking loved it more yeah. than you. Like, <laughs> when I found out that we were going to be able to do that, because I didn't include it in the original script. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't fucking, Ben and I hadn't spoken years. So I didn't say, oh, I'm going to include Holden, because, you know, he's the only guy to play Holden. So he wasn't in the script and shit like that. There was one line in the script to describe the, the turn. We call that the turn, when the character is propelled into the third act. Somebody gives him a bit of wisdom and shit, and he's like, I'm going to change my life when the third act begins. So the turn originally in the script was Jay and Bob running around Chronicon, and they, they, they're hiding behind cutouts of themselves. You saw it in yeah. the credits. Then Jay is looking around, and he looks over, and we see a little father-daughter moment happen off to the side. There's a dad dressed like Silent Bob, kneeling down, he's putting a lanyard around a little girl's neck dressed like Jay, father-daughter thing. So we, and it would have been Logan, Jay's daughter, who wound up playing Ben's daughter in the movie, because in these movies, we just play musical chairs with our kids. <laughs> so he, uh, at, at that point, man, um, Jay would turn to Silent Bob after he saw that little moment, and then say, I haven't been there for a million or whole life, Silent Bob. And then, you know, boom, we're heading to the third act. I got to replace that with an eight minute sequel to Chasing Amy, that like, where I got to do shit like right, like I've never got to use in the View Scooniverse in all the years, the term cis white male. So I got to do that. And Chasing Amy has become a problematic movie for some folks in the last few years. That used to be my umbrella movie. Where like no matter what I did, I'd be like, oh, I made chasing Amy. They're like, let him go. We made chasing Amy. <laughs> so it hasn't aged that well for some cats. Some cats weren't around when it came out. Don't see the value in that movie. They see it as homophobic, which it's the exact opposite of that and stuff like that. So I've read a bunch of articles about that shit. And so in writing that scene, I got to write shit like that. I got to cop to the criticism and whatnot. And all of that happened because of an entertainment journalist, a guy named Kevin McCarthy. He interviews people, he does the junkets, and he reviews movies in Washington, D.C. On, on TV and stuff. And I've known him for years, cute kid, he loves movies and shit, for some reason likes our movies very much. <laughs> Anytime he interviews somebody who's been in one of my movies for some other movie, he references one of my movies. So case in point, he'll be talking to like Matt Damon, and he'll go like, uh, hey, when are they gonna make Goodwill Hunting 2, hunting season? <laughs> and you see Matt go like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then he's like, oh, that movie, I made a movie years ago that had to joke it. Oh, Kevin, oh, well, that's funny and stuff. And he breaks the ice and makes a warmer interview and shit. So he did that to Affleck while we were in production on the movie. Uh, we were three weeks into the movie and Ben was doing a junket for a Netflix movie called Triple Frontier. So Kevin McCarthy's interviewing him and generally get about four minutes at the junket and stuff to interview somebody. He wasted 10 seconds to ask Ben a question that had nothing to do with Triple Frontier. He goes, hey, they're making Jane Silent Bob a reboot right now, man. Are you gonna be in it? And without missing a beat, Ben goes, no, nobody's called me and I'm not busy. <laughs> so everybody in the production came up to me with their phone going, did you fucking say this? He said he wants to be in it, he's not busy. I was like, that's not what he said at all. They asked him if he's gonna be in it. He said, no, nobody's called me and I'm not busy. There's a world of difference between him saying, I wanna be in it and that. I'm like, you should reach out to him. And I was like, why? They're like, because he might want to be in the movie. I was like, you people just don't get it. That's some nice shit to say to Junkin. What is he supposed to say? The truth? Fuck Kevin Smith. <laughs> by the way, watch Triple Frontier on Netflix. You know? <laughs> He's in sales mode. Of course, he'd be like, what, Kevin? Oh, yeah, I'd be in that movie that called me. Next question, move on and shit like that. I said, don't believe that. That's, we got a movie to make. We're fine and shit. Week went by. 
Jason Mewes just hammering me every day. And finally, a week after the original uh, text that I saw, like the clip of him on a uh, tweet, Jason goes, I think he's sending you a coded message. <laughs> and I was like, I think you watch too much CSI. <laughs> so I said, you know what? If you'll get off my dick, I will tweet the guy. That's the best I could do for you. Shit. He goes, all right, tweet him. And so I wrote him a tweet. And it was too many characters, more than 140. So I had to write it in notes and take a picture of it. And I was just about to post on Twitter. And Jason, uh, Jason's wife, Jordan, who runs our company, our lives, and shit like that. She's a producer on the movie. She said, uh, let me see that before you send it. She's like a grown up in the room. And so I showed it to her and she goes, oh God, why would you put something this personal so public? She's going, you ain't talked to this guy in a decade and this is how you're gonna fucking reach the distance? Like, don't do this, this is tacky. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? And she goes, why don't you text him? Because I got four numbers. I don't know if any of them work. I ain't spoken to him like a dime. She goes, pick one and try. And I said, all right. So I picked the top one, and I, read, I texted to him. She was right there. I was like, how about this? And I wrote, this still you? And hit send, and sure. And she's like, you could be more descriptive than that. And I was like, no. And so bubbles happened. And I was like, oh, shit, somebody's answering. And he wrote back, this still me, who this? And then I wrote back, who this? Capital D-I-S. Like, you first, motherfucker. And he wrote B-A, which those are his initials. So I felt pretty good, but then immediately another text came up right under it and it said, this is your father. And instantly I was like, that sounds like Ben. Because when we were kids, that was his like fucking catchphrase. Like he put Muse in the headlock and be like, I'm your father. Like when he met my child, Harley, he's holding him for the first time. He's like, I'm your father. My wife was like, no, you're not. I would fucking remember that. So I said, easy, oh my God, like this could be fucking Ben. And then he wrote, who is this? And I said, maybe this conversation ends right now. I said, KS. And he, there's a pause, and then he goes, Kevin? He goes, how the hell are you? And I said, oh my God, I'm great. I said, but I was just about to tweet you this giant thing. So I'm gonna text it here instead, man. And I copy and pasted it and dumped it into his text. And it said, dear Ben Affleck, because that's his name on Twitter. I would never call him Ben Affleck. <laughs> uh, so dear Ben Affleck, I said, we're having a blast in the past down here in New Orleans making Jane Silent Bob reboot. Wish you were here. I said, but ever since the heart attack, I don't wish for nothing no more. I just ask for things. So will you please come down and play with us? It would be amazing to have you on set again. Running around with these characters has been a blast. You're the only thing that's missing, man. I quote the good King Osric from Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> when I say, there comes a time, the when the jewels cease to sparkle and the gold loses its luster and the throne room becomes as a prison and all an old director wants is to make pretend with his old friends. And I hit send. And then I remembered, oh fuck, I have not spoken to this guy since I became a stoner. All of this reads like stoner speak and he's gonna be like, this fucker had a stroke, you know? And then it bubbles come up and he's responding and he wrote the most perfect Affleckian thing he possibly could. He said, um, I find it so telling that you still think of yourself as a king. <laughs> so he's like, yes, I'll come play. And I was like, oh my God. And I sent him a picture of me bawling because I was like so fucking mad, I just started crying. My wife was like, he's going to not do the movie if you send him that gross picture. And I was like, he's got to see. <laughs> so he goes, uh, where are we shooting? CBS Radford? Because that's when we shot Jane Sonnenbach straight back. It was in Hollywood and shit, in Burbank. And I was like, no, fuck no. We're not in the valley, dude. We're out in New Orleans. 
And he's like, New Orleans. I said, yeah, you're going to have to get on a plane to do this one and shit. And he was like, all right. He goes, what am I going to play? I said, well, we've cast everything. We're in the last week of production, man. So, like, I, there's one part we ain't got filled. We were going to leave it out of the movie, but now with you here, maybe you could play. He goes, who is it? And I said, Cockknocker. <laughs> and he goes, Cockknocker? He's going, Mark Hamill plays that role. And I said, well, he used to play that role. I said, well, we, that's the difference between 2001 and 2019. In 2001, when we made Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, there were no more Star Warses ever. <laughs> and in 2019, all the fucking Star Warses. I said, so we reached out to Mark, and Mark was like, the Empire won't let me. So, I said, the role is wide open. You could come do it. And he was like, all right, that'll be fun and shit. And I was like, oh, it's going to be awesome. And I told everybody in the movie, I was like, Ben's coming. He's going to play Cockner. I'm like, holy shit. So I went to sleep that night, and I got up in the morning, I was like, you ain't seen this motherfucker in a dime, like 10 fucking years, man. This is a kid that you built your entire career with, man. He was in the trenches with you when you were becoming the you that you always wanted to be. He's gonna make the trip all the way to New Orleans after you haven't spoken to him in 10 fucking years, and you're gonna put a giant rubber fucking fist on his hand? I was like, think harder, motherfucker. And I started thinking, I was like, well, all we got left to shoot is the third act of the movie, which is Chronicon. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. Bluntman and Chronic, co-created by Banky and Holden and Chasing Amy, so if Holden showed up at this con, that would make sense. It would totally track and play. And then I started thinking about like writing Chasing Amy fan fiction, going like, oh fuck, where would they be in their lives at this point and shit? So I reached out to Ben and I was like, hey man, like instead of Cockknocker, I was thinking about it. How would you like to play Holden McNeil again instead? And he wrote back so fast, he was like, I would much rather do that than punch people in the dick, yes! <laughs> so I said, oh my God, can I reach out to Joey? He said, yeah, absolutely. So I reached out to Joey, and I was like, hey man, uh, what are you doing? She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm making Jane Saw Bob reboot. She was like, I was waiting for your call. What do you want me to do, leave a movie theater and say stupid shit? That's what she thought about her role in Jane Saw Bob Strike Back. She's like, you wrote me one of the greatest roles in cinema history with Chasing Amy, and this is what I'm doing in Jane Saw Bob Strike Back? I was like, we're not dating anymore. So. <laughs> So I call her up and I'm like, we're going to make a sequel to Chasing Amy, a little eight-minute sequel to Chasing Amy, right in the middle of Jane Silent Bob reboot. She's going, how are you going to do that without Ben? I was like, Ben's coming. She goes, what the fuck? She's like, what demon's dick did you suck? And I was like, Ben's apparently. So now he's coming in. She's like, I'd love to. And so I wrote that scene over the course of like three hours while we were in production and shit, late at night in my house, smoked like fucking four huge joints while I was writing the scene because I just wanted to like dive into it emotionally. I love their story. It's so bittersweet and fucking sad and shit. And at the end of Chasing Amy, you get the impression that he understood what he fucked up, that he'll never get it back and shit like that. But you get the understanding that he's trying and perhaps one day he's gonna be a better person, the person he always dreamed about being. That fucking scene proves it. I love that scene so much because it's like all the promise that he shows at the end of Chasing Amy, he lived up to and became a better fucking person. And even more so, it's probably nobody notices this but me. At the end of Chasing Amy, Joey's sitting next to a woman at the con, and the woman's like you know, talking about what they're gonna do and shit. And that's when Ben comes over and gives her the Chasing Amy comic and shit. And then, you know, Ben leaves and she goes, uh, the girl comes back. And she goes, who is that? And she's like, oh, just some guy or some other. The girl who played the other girl is my sister. Totally, wrap up soon, totally. Um, I saw that. You didn't have to go all the way up there. You just went, Durk. Um, so, uh, so my sister played that character at the end of Chasing Amy. 
So my sister was in town visiting. Yeah, can you pass out those? The ones I forgot? Thank you. I got winded jumping off stage. It was nuts. <laughs> my sister was in town with my mom visiting the production and shit. So I was like, once I knew I was making that scene, I was like, hey, can you stick around for two more days? She's like, why? I was like, I want to put you in the Chasing Amy scene. And she was like, all right. And so that scene and that moment with Joey and my sister together really reframes the entire Chasing Amy movie and casts it as a love story that only begins in the last three minutes of the movie. Their relationship went on. They're still fucking together like 22 years later and stuff. Holden, who felt like he loved this person, it was a wrap it up time? Is it time? No, I won't lose your job. I'm going to say it as I walk up. Go ahead, we'll walk it up. Keep talking. <laughs> Holden, in this moment, Holden uh, gets to become the person he always wants to be. He's in this incredibly unconventional relationship with this woman who he once thought he was in love with. And he was right. He did love her. But he wasn't like the conventional love of, you're a girl, I'm a guy, so we must be together. She was the doorway to the love of his life, to that little kid who was played by Jason Muse's kid and shit like that. So I got to make a little Chasing Amy sequel, and I loved it. The problem is, you didn't even ask your question. <laughs> we gotta go, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming out tonight. Go tell everybody the movie opens that high, and then I'll see you all next time. I love you. Good night. Okay, people, so we're drawing to the end of another episode. Hope you enjoyed um, the coverage this week. And um, let's get into a bit of film news. There's not much. So there's a little bit of news, and then we're going to bounce. All right, so Elizabeth Banks is going to be starring in and directing uh, a, f a new um, Invisible Woman film from Universal Pictures. Erin uh, Cressida Wilson, um, she's uh, working on the script and Banks will be producing along with Max Handelman. Um, there's not much on the plot, but I, I supposedly it's a kind of a sci-fi comedy tone um, yeah so that could be interesting I think we'll have to uh, have to wait and see you know um, also Albert Hughes has been uh, you know Given the directorial role from Warner Brothers to reboot The Fugitive. Um, yeah, which is interesting because there is another film of this property coming as well. But, um, you know, I think as many know, the story follows Richard Kimball. A man accused of murdering his wife who becomes hell-bent on finding the one-armed man who actually did it and with who Kimball struggled after the killing. Uh, Brian Tucker is writing the script and Eric Feig will be um, producing the property. And I think um, Hughes is... Uh, 
you know, he's doing this on his own, not with his brother. So, uh, yeah, I think that could be interesting. And um, I think finally, we know that, you know, Black Widow should be, I believe it's hitting next year. Right, so I think it's the mid of next year, and Scarlett Johansson has been out doing interviews, and she had a few things to say, you know, about the upcoming film. I mean, um, firstly, um, you know, that you know, she's kind of putting it out there that this isn't going to be. A, um, isn't going to be an origin story Like she said um, I didn't Did not want it to be an origin story I did not want it to be An espionage story I didn't want it to feel Superficial at all I only wanted to do it If it actually fit where I was With the character I had spent such a long time peeling those layers away, I felt that unless we got to something deep, then there was no reason to make it, because I did my job in Endgame, and I actually felt satisfied with that. I would have been happy to let that be it. So there had to be a reason to do it, other than just to milk something. Um, She also said, By elevating the genre, I mean I hope that it can be both explosive and dynamic and have all that great fun stuff that goes with the genre. But I hope that we can also talk about, you know, self-doubt and insecurity and shame and disappointment and regret and all that stuff too. It has many different things. It's not just that, but there's a lot of deep stuff, I think, that drives it. So, um, yeah, you know, the film is starring David Harbour, um, Florence Pugh, Rachel Wise, um, and O.T. Fagblen. Um, Kate Shorthand is directing it. So yeah, looking forward to that dropping um, next year. Alright people, so that is another episode of Echo Chamber. We will see you next week. And um, everything should be back to its normal schedule. Fingers crossed that no more issues with the website. Alright, catch you then people. Enjoy your film watching.